Hi, this is Alexandra Tidings. I'm an actress. I played Aphrodite on Xena Warrior Princess, among other things. And you're listening to the Atomic Podcast. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, actor, writer, director, Alex Tidings. Alex, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm glad we were talking a little bit beforehand to, to I guess, soften the blow or, or, or how you say it, uh, cool the ice, you know? How, what's, the, what's, the, what's that terminology? I forget it offhand now. Like, break the ice? Yeah, break the ice. Oh my God, yes, break the ice. That sounds so old right there. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. How's everything going with you? Everything's really good, thank you. How about you? I'm you got some snow out there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's melting away now, so we got sun, so it's not totally bad. Oh, good. No, yeah, so- I remember there was a Prince song. Sometimes it snows in April, and it was like, you know, full of moodiness and irony. And now it's just sort of a statement of fact. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, um, are you a big Prince fan? I love Prince. Yeah, oh. I don't want to call myself a big fan because then somebody will catch me on some, like, you know, detail that I don't know. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I've loved Prince since I was a little girl. Um, what's what's a particular Prince song that you like? Oh, my God. Um, a favorite one? Do you have a favorite one? I don't think I have a favorite one. Uh, Kiss popped into my head when Doves Cry. Yes, yes. Um, I had... I had Purple Rain on Betamax, and I watched it like 32 times. Oh, my God. You said Betamax. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and so that, I mean, that dates me, but I was little. And, and I'm, I'm a mother of three little girls now. And to imagine, I think I was in like seventh grade. Yeah. To imagine my daughters watching that movie in seventh grade <laughs> and thinking like, I want to be Apollonia. <laughs> like, wow, okay. It's, it's a really different world. I'm glad it's a really different world that they're living in now in terms of gender representation and who their role models are. But I still, man, I love that music so much. And I love that man. Yeah. May he rest. I know. Um, It's like he was such, I don't know, like, he was an enigma, but you know the, his his art, his his work, his art and music form was so amazing. And yeah. I think people hear yeah. it today, like you know, you could tell the the music is very eighties. The so certain songs, I would say, the but yeah, for sure. Yeah, but he was such an artist, man. It's and you know, it's it's a it's a tragedy that we lost him, but we lost a lot of great people though. But yeah, that was a rough year. That was a really tough year. Yeah. Bowie and Prince. That yeah. was. I'm still mourning both of those. He's from the Midwest, by the way. I'm sure you know. Yeah, I'm Minnesota, right? A Prince, I believe. Yeah. It. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I'm. I'm sure he. Well, I'm, I'm from the coast, so it's all a big blur to me. That's. I'm sure that's offending some of your listeners. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> totally, totally not. You don't live in Minnesota. I know that. But. You know. You know, it's just shocking hearing you with three three kids. What is what what is the, what what are the um the ages? They are nine, eleven, and thirteen. They're all girls, and they're spectacular. Wow, that's awesome! I have two girls myself, so I know it's hard. Wait till homecoming and 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 hairdos and proms. Oh my god! Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> I just got a little taste of it a few weeks ago. My oldest daughter had her bat mitzvah. 
And um, I wasn't. I went to a lot of bat mitzvahs when I was a kid. I didn't ever have one. So, you know, when they told me what a big deal it was, I kind of would roll my eyes and be like, yeah, I know my ballet class is really hard, too. <laughs> and I'll just say, now, having been on the other side of it, it is such a big deal. Yeah. And it is so hard. It is so much work. But also, you know, that whole thing of getting the dress and getting, you know, helping her do her hair and all of this stuff. Um, yeah, I'm getting a little window into what's to come. But it's a lot of fun, too. It's really a lot of fun. And they're so, they're amazing. The world that they're growing up in right now is so different. We were just down at the March for Our Lives last weekend, two weekends ago. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, they, they got their signs made, and they're holding them up in the sky, and then they're yeah. so excited because, oh, my God, look who's on the stage. It was, it's pretty exciting. It's a, it's a fun time to be a mom of girls, I think. Yeah. Well, was they, were they aware of what was going on? Like, they knew, like, what was all about, like, the event and everything? Well, they, I mean, my 13-year-old really knows. Like, she was part of, you know, they had the um, school walkout the week before. Yes. And she was part of the organizers of her school who did that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so she totally knew. And then, you know, kind of gradually less and less information down to my nine-year-old knows the kids got shot in school, and that's horrifying. And I try to protect them as much as I can from really scary world event stuff. I, I want them to still believe the world is a safe place, even if that's not necessarily true. You know, I feel like my job as a mom is complicated, all of ours as parents, you know, trying to preserve their innocence and prepare them for the world at the same time. It's, I don't know, it's a never-ending challenge. Yeah. It, it's crazy because as a parent now, like, your priorities shift because you have another life you have to, you know, you have to protect and another life that depends on you. But as, a, as opposed to a person who doesn't have kids, it's more secular, it's almost like, not that they're not compassionate, but... They almost can't relate to situations like that, you know. Like I know people. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a parent, but I'm a pet mom. You know, that's great. That's great, but it's totally different, you know. Like, do you know when I got when I had a dog? I got my first dog when I was 24, and I loved her so much that I told my friends. I said, I don't think I can ever have a child because I can't imagine I would love my child as much as I love. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing too. I thought the and, same you thing. You know, too. and then I had a child, and then my heart just broke and just shattered into pieces all over the floor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was capable of loving even more, but I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Um. um did you have all natural birth or C section or? Oh. Um. Well, I planned to have a home birth. Oh. Wow. My first child. Wow, you're a trooper. <laughs> Wow. And she arrived five weeks early, so I ended up at the hospital, oh. and they induced, which is really not a, I, I don't recommend it. Yeah. Um, and so I labored under, under Pitocin, which is how they induce, for eight hours. It was really unpleasant. I was throwing up and all of that stuff, and trying to keep it as natural as possible. And then they did an ultrasound, or they, then they did an exam and found out that she was breached. So, so then I had a C-section. So I sort of, I've got like almost every intervention you could have in my first birth, which I had planned to be natural. Wow. <laughs> but, um, universe had different ideas for that. And that, but then my next two were home births at home with a midwife and, um, and were incredible. The first one I was in labor for, so the first home birth, my second child, I was in labor for 36 hours. Oh my God. And I pushed for four hours and I was a yoga teacher and I had a 
birthing bath in the living room and I had made a four hour playlist on my podcast with beautiful <laughs> kind of Hindu chants and all this and she was just not coming. Wow. And um and the midwife started to get a little nervous and they were like, You're gonna get tired and we need to get this baby coming. So you gotta switch it up. You gotta like change the energy. You gotta do something. So I got out of the the bath I dried off, I put on Bruce Springsteen, and she was born 15 minutes later. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like she was just, um, she was like, I'm not making my entrance to that hippie stuff. I'm <laughs> trying to put on some fucking roll for me. Wow. That's, yeah. that, that's I, I, I'm just shocked. It's amazing. Holy crap. Yeah. Like, she's been she's been a rebellious child ever since. She is She marches to her own tune. Her uh, her favorite character when she was three was Medusa. <laughs> wow, <That's laughs> she's a, she's awesome. She's fabulous. Fascinating, she's fascinating. Um, do you recommend um home birth for a lot of people, or that's just something that you wanted to do, or you know? Right. Okay. So I don't know how political you feel comfortable going here. No, go um, ahead. Go ahead. Shoot away. So you just dial me back when you want to, but I'm just going to speak. Yes, yeah, speak. Um, I believe fiercely powerfully strongly in a woman's right to choose what happens to her body mm-hmm. and how she takes care of her body including her unborn child until the moment that it's born and then after that as a mother too you know um but uh so i think i really think a woman should be given all the choices that are available to her and empowered to make smart intelligent decisions um, I actually wrote a play uh, a couple of years ago that that had a lot to do. There were there were a lot of midwives in that play. Mm-hmm. Um, midwives are my heroes. I think they're incredible. And I, um, you know, I'm very very grateful for Western medicine. And when you need it, it's it's. I'm so grateful that it's there. Mm-hmm. But I also think that um, we're kind of in a crisis right now of of you know some over prescription and over intervention and. I think a lot of what happens to laboring moms in the hospital is not because it's better for the moms and the babies. It's because of it's better for the hospitals or it's their insurance are requiring it. And um, so I think I think what I would say is if a mom wants to have a baby at home and she's healthy and the baby's healthy, that's a great place to have a baby. Mm-hmm. It's not a medical event. Yeah. Um, and if a mom feels more comfortable in, in the um, hospital and, and feels like that's where she's safest and that's where the best care is for her, then that's absolutely where she should be. Yeah. That's how I feel. Oh. Is there any side effects for, for doing a home birth? Like is like what, you know, the, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar with that. I don't know anybody that's done that. But is there anything you have to do per se, as opposed to going to the hospital? Um, well, I would definitely say get a really good midwife. Okay. For sure. And um, and and they're experts in this stuff. They really are. And and you know, the reality in a hospital, you 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 know, uh, my friends would would you know work really hard to find the best OBGYN and and get a great doctor and feel so confident about their doctor and have all these, um, you know, meetings with the doctor and tests and all this stuff throughout the pregnancy. But then when you actually get to the hospital, doctor's hardly there at all. Doctor kind of drops in a couple times and then shows up to catch the baby. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. You're, yeah. actually, you're being cared for by the nursing staff. And nurses are angels, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I think our culture needs to acknowledge that and pay them better and take much better care of our caregivers in general. But um, 
the nurse that you get when you have your baby doesn't necessarily, she might have just come out of nursing school and not have ever witnessed a baby being born. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, whereas midwives are, that's what they do. That is all that they do, and they're they're really, really good at it. So, yeah, I would definitely say get a good midwife. Um, side effects, uh, you don't have to recover from all the interventions that might have had to happen to you in the hospital. You might not have to recover from an infection you might have gotten in the hospital. Mm. You get to sleep in your own bed with your baby in your arms. You get to take a shower in your own shower. You get to eat what you want. You don't have people waking you up all night to take your pulse and stuff. Yeah. Those are some pretty good side effects. Oh, but, wow. you know, if, you, if you're terrified of pain and you want an epidural... Uh, you're gonna have to go to the hospital for that. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Now we know Alex can take pain in more ways than one. <laughs> well, you know what else? I also really don't like feeling like I'm trapped. I really don't like being in a cage. Like yeah. uh, when I had when I had my you know first child in the in the hospital and it was a C-section. It's major abdominal surgery, and yeah. I was pretty out of it for the first day or two, um, and. Then by the third day, I was just pacing the halls and losing my mind and really wanting to get out of there. And they said, you know, insurance has to pay for one extra day if you want to stay. And I was like, can I leave? Please get me out of here. <laughs> That's just my personality. I have friends who are like, oh, my God, keep me in the hospital. They're feeding me. I don't have to clean. I don't have to take care of anybody. Just let them take care of me. And I just want to watch TV in bed. And I totally get that. I totally get it. It's just not my personality. <laughs> Now, yeah, so um, when people say like, "Oh my God, you're so brave! You can handle all this pain." I'm like, "No, dude, I'm terrified of hospitals." <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. I think I'm still to this day. I'm scared of how I'm scared of needles. I can't even look at my shelf getting a shot for anything. I can't. Oh, I know it's hard. No. <laughs> no. So let's take it back, Alex. Um, to early Alex. Um, what was your biggest influence into becoming in the into becoming an actor or a person in the entertainment field? What was your biggest influence? Oh, wow. Um. That's a great question. I mean, I grew up dancing. I started dancing. I ha I can't even remember. I don't remember my first dancing lessons. Like I I I started dancing before I really have memories. Wow. Um, and I just always loved it, and always I always wanted the next thing. And the first kind of dance I ever did was Irish step dancing, and um, this was before river dance, so no one knew what the hell this thing was <laughs> that I was doing on the weekends. I mean, like my Irish dancing friends did, but like no one in my school they were like, "You what? Oh, is that the Highland fling?" And I was like, "No, that's Scottish. This is Irish." Um, but, uh, and the weird thing about, you know, like if you do ballet, it's all organized kind of around the nutcracker, but if you do, um, or like if you do Taekwondo, it's all organized around the getting the next belt. But if you do Irish dancing, it's all organized around these competitions and there's different levels. You start off as a beginner and then you get better and you become a novice and eventually if you're good enough, you become a champion. So I just always wanted the next thing. I just, that's my personality. I just, I want, I want that next the next trophy, the next level, whatever that thing is. So I, I just, so I grew up doing that, um, and I, I just loved it. I loved performing. I loved, you know, the school plays, whatever. I just wanted to do it, and um, I started modeling when I was ten. My, I lived in D.C. and my older sister, my half sister, she's ten years older than me, was living in New York, and she was modeling, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the whole entire world. And, um, and she was dating a photographer and she was like, well, come up and stay with me and let's take your pictures. And we did that. And she was like, and let me help you. Let me find some agents who represent kids. And we did that. And then I, 
found myself with an agent and with um they're called go like when you go for an interview for modeling mm -hmm. the great thing about starting off that way there are a lot of things that aren't great about that and no i don't let my kids do it but yeah. um but the great thing about it is you get really good at rejection which is probably one of the best skills you can have as an actor just because the number of auditions you get per number of jobs you get is it's brutal if you don't have a really tough kind of emotional core that can handle a lot of rejection but that's a lot of what modeling is it's just it's called go season you just go see all these people who might hire you but there's not really there's not a job at the other end of it except sometimes there is but basically you just go see everybody and show them your pictures and then i started getting jobs so i would go up in um in the summers, and I would go up sometimes if there was a really good job in the winter, I'd go up for it, or if there was a good audition, I started doing, did a couple of commercials and stuff like that. Um, and then things changed in my own life in D.C. Um, my parents got divorced, and my mom didn't really have the time. She had to work, and she didn't really have the time to drive me around anymore, and um, I got into punk music and started, you know, dyeing my hair purple and, you know, that's not as marketable for the JCPenney catalog. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I, you know, I kind of, I, I drifted away from that and, and went more into writing and making art and that kind of stuff. And, um, I went to college and I was studying film, um, which in my college was, you, we made a few films and then mostly we read a lot of like feminist film theory, but, um, which is also really fun. But, um, <laughs> But we we put each other in our films a lot, as as kids do. Like rather than actually going out and casting and finding real actors, we'd just be like, "It's two o'clock in the morning. I have to make this thing. We do you mind like drinking some coffee and being in my movie?" <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I kind of you know fell back around into it. Um, so that by the time I was looking at the end of college and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, I was starting to think that I might want to act. Mm. And um. It was my junior year, and I was a film major, as I said, but I was thinking kind of I might want to get serious about acting, and so I went to NYU for the summer. They had a summer school program called Acting in Film, and I went to do that, um, and I really enjoyed it, and um, we, my roommate was also at NYU, but she was studying film, and she was in a, in a film class, and they, and they broke them into little groups of like four or five kids where they would each, they would take turns rotating and be in each other's crew. So like you might be the director for your piece, but then for your friend's piece, you'd be the um, cinematographer. And then for the other one, you'd do sound, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And in my friend's um, crew was Tom Hulse, who I don't know if you remember him. He, he played Amadeus in yes. the movie Amadeus. He was just brilliant he was also in parenthood he was just brilliant he was i mean it doesn't get much better than amadeus in my opinion and he wanted to start directing and so he decided to go to film school just the way everybody else went to film school and learn from the ground up and um and so he was in my friend alexa's crew and she was making her little movie and she cast me as the lead and so there i was in this little student film with tom hulse like <laughs> i don't know holding the sound boom or something i don't remember yeah. and um and we did this crazy scene in um in central park you know the alice in wonderland sculpture yes there. yes so i was sitting in alice's lap <laughs> playing this kind of crazy person who was having a tea party with her imaginary friends and tom halls came up to me afterwards and, and said are you an actress and i said i don't know i'm thinking about it and he said you should go for it 
Wow. So he was sort of my angel um, in terms of not planting the seed, but but shining a little sunshine on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I I graduated college and I went out to LA and uh, and took it from there. Oh, so when you got to LA, what like you know you got your apartment? I'm assuming, and and you started what just going on. Um, yeah, I think I lived in like 12 different apartments in the first year and a half. Well, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wow. I mean, I was 22. That's what happens. Um, yeah. I was really, really, really lucky. I knew someone. My mom was um, an actress for about five minutes when she was really young and before she had us. And um, she still had some friends out there and, you know, some people I had known since I was a kid. And one of them was an agent. And he was married to an, a casting director. And so when I got out there, we, you know, we all hung out one day. And, um, and he said, well, um, you know, you should get into a good acting class. And I can pull together a list of, you know, some good teachers. And, and you know, do that for six or eight months. And then call me and we can talk about what the next step should be. And that was not my timeline at all. I was like... Okay, cool, whatever. Thanks for your list of teachers. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but his wife, Kathy Henderson, um, said, well, hold on, let's see what she can do now. And, you know, I'd taken a few classes. I took that class at Tisch, and then when I got back to Brown for my senior year, I took some, some theater stuff then. Anyway, and I'd done all those little student movies. She said, let's bring her in and just put her on tape and see what she can do. And so she did that. She just offered her casting office to me to, to go in and make a tape. And she gave me sides to work on. And sides are what, what they call um, when they give you pages of a scene for an audition. Yeah. And and then she showed it to Merritt, her husband, and um, and they said, huh, she's got something. She's green, which is what they say when you're new and you don't quite know what you're doing yet. They said she's green, but she'll get, you know, that's just she just needs practice. So he said, I'll start sending you out. Um, he said, I'm not going to sign you officially yet, but I'll start, st start sending you out on auditions. And I said, will you please send me out on everything you can get me in on, even if it's, it's stuff that I'm not right for? And he said, really? And I said, yeah. I just I, I'm green I want practice yeah. I want practice auditioning um, and so he did that he didn't sign me but he sent me out and then I booked something and then he signed me and then and then we took it from there wow what was your first like starring paid role oh my god um, the very first thing I did was a TV show called Red Shoe Diaries um, oh that should be on Showtime I, right was that on Showtime yeah yes, yes, yes. yeah and and I told you I was um, I was into punk music and um, when I was a teenager and I really loved um, European movies okay. and they were um, they were doing a movie called Delta of Venus based on the life of Anais Nin and I loved her and I really wanted to do that movie they were going to shoot it in Prague yeah. and um, so I went I, I went up for that movie and I went back up bunch of times they brought me in they brought me back to read for the producers and the director they brought me back a bunch of times they even brought me in one time for a photo shoot and dressed me up in period clothes and took a bunch of pictures um and I really really wanted it and I didn't get it but they said but they just offered me they also did Red Shoe Diaries and they just offered me Red Shoe Diaries um and I said okay and they said you know there's nudity in it and as I said, I grew up on European movies. One of my favorite movies ever is Betty Blue. And the very first scene is brightly lit, far away, not romantic at all. Both actors buck naked going at it. Yeah. Um, 
and it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. So that was sort of my context. I didn't really have a lot of hang-ups about it, okay. and um, my boyfriend at the time did. He was like, whoa, 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 you know, <laughs> you need to know what this is. Do you know what, you know, people are saying this is soft porn, you should at least watch the show. That was really good advice. You should at least watch the show is really good advice, you know, but yeah. I, I was reacting to his kind of defensiveness and his freaked outedness and the fact he was my boyfriend. So I didn't, and I, yeah. didn't, and I didn't listen to him in retrospect. It's fine. You know, I wish if I, if I had known that it would live forever on the internet, I might have thought twice about it. Um, you know, and, and to young actresses who get offered stuff where they have to take their clothes off, you know, I think, it's complicated. The fact that it lives on forever on the internet and people can take those images and manipulate it makes it pretty, pretty tough. And the fact that, um, you know, the, the jobs that I was offered from for a while after that were just lots of kind of nudity, slutty, sexy, you know, stuff that I, that's not what I wanted to do. Um, I would feel pretty protective about young women doing that. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. It's what I got. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's my answer to what was your first job. Yeah. Oh, well, it, it, um, it was a learning experience for you, right? And was what, was you just topless on it or was it full nudity? Oh, or? it sure was. There was full, I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't pornography, yeah. but it was, it was a sex scene. It's from, and, you know, the people who made nine and a half weeks made those shows. So ah, okay. It's, it's sexy for sure. And the, and the show that I was on was about, it was kind of about a young woman's sexual awakening. So, um, that, that was the topic of the, the other thing they did, um, is they didn't have the script finished when they offered me the job. And that's a red flag. If any time, um, I would say to any any young actress who's thinking of accepting a role that has a nudity clause in in, um, in the union contract, if they're going to have you take off your clothes, they have to sign a. There's an, an extra part of this contract which is called a unit a, a nudity clause or a nudity waiver, yeah. and I would say um, anytime you're asked to sign that, you better know what the script is because mm. you can just get on the set and they're like, oh, and take your shirt off, yeah. you know and as an actor, you're so vulnerable, and and you just want to do you just want to do the best job you can, and you're not you don't want part of your brain thinking thinking you have to protect yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, hey, it, it was your first role. You learned from it, so you know if that role didn't happen, you it wouldn't lead you to the other roles. You know, going forward. So you exactly, know. and um and you know it was my first role, and I there I signed my agent, and there I was in the union, and I had health insurance, and. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big deal when you're 22 years old that's a really big deal yes because you think you're immortal and oh i don't need to go to the doctor for anything and then when you get a root canal and you get you know this this and that you're like oh i gotta go see the doctor you know yes yes exactly um so you had other roles besides that as well right you got other oh, yeah, yeah for sure and and you know i was doing commercials and i was doing a little bit of modeling print work and i did um another uh kind of Hercules was originally part of the Universal Action Pack. Yes, I remember, yep. Series and there was another one called Vanishing Sun. That was one of my very first jobs too. It was a guest spot on Vanishing Sun. Oh, that's the show with uh, Russell Wong, right? Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. Um and I remember I had long blonde hair and the the lead of the female lead on that show also had blonde hair. So they had me dye my hair red for that show. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, which, which began some kind of weird hair karma. I don't know what it, maybe it goes back because I was dyeing my hair so much when I was in high school. I don't know. But like every job I had from then on required me to dye, cut, or 
wear a wig. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's uh, that's sort of what happened. Not every single job, but a lot of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I so I did that, and that was fun. I had to play a um, a horse trainer. Yeah. And um, I had kind of stretched the truth a little bit in my auddition. Not really. I had misrepresented myself. That's the nice way of saying yes, it. I suppose they said, "Can you ride?" Yeah. And I had I had ridden a little bit as a kid, and at one point I had been in summer camp where you could ride every day, and I and I got all right at it. I could like canter and jump and stuff like that. Yeah. I was also eight years old, yeah. um, but <laughs> so so when they said, "Can you ride?" I said, "Oh sure." I mean, I can't jump western. Yeah. which is true. And they said, oh, it's English. And I was like, oh, it's English. Great, yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you got the job. And I was like, oh, my God. I haven't been on a horse. I hadn't been on a horse since I was 11 at that point, like like 10 years. So, But I had a friend who was in my acting class who um, was a horse trainer. And uh, so she gave me some lessons. And I was still really nervous when I got to the set. Lucky for me, unlucky for the set, there had been a little bit of... Um, drama on the set and um one of the actors had been i think the horse took off on before i even got there the she was riding and the horse took off and and threw her and she broke her ankle or, so i don't remember this was a long time ago but something happened where there was some kind of pretty serious um drama on the set so by the time i got there they were they were very very careful with the actors and they only put me on the horse one time and all i had to do was walk <laughs> so i don't know if they even ever felt, found out that i was stretching the truth a bit when i said i couldn't jump western well no that was absolutely true but you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so um going back you was talking about um you had little roles here and there then um mm -hmm. how did you get the audition for aphrodite and i guess the Hercules Xena universe, like how did you get? Yes. Well, so actually the same casting director who cast Vanishing Sun, um, I think that was her. Yeah. Um, it was a long time ago. She, uh, I'm pretty sure she also cast Hercules. Yeah. And um, right before that, I had, I got a really, really great job in a really, really great movie. Um called The Sun Chaser, and that was a Woody Harrelson movie, and it was to play his wife. Oh, okay. And um, so, and it wasn't, it, uh, it was really a buddy movie about Woody and this younger guy, yeah. but um, but it was the female lead. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a lead, but it was the female lead. Yeah. Um, so that was a really, really big deal for me, and it was really exciting. And, um, and so I had just finished shooting that, um, not that long before, and this audition for Hercules came up, and um, my, I had an agent and a manager at the time, and, and they had a fight about whether or not I should do it, because my manager was trying to get me the next big movie, you know, and was uh. um, trying to get me in to meet Brian De Palma and stuff like that, and my agent, and she was saying, Alex should not go do a kid's show. And my agent was saying, Alex has worked like four times in her life <laughs> she needs to go work and make some money and, you know, just get on set. And I was going back and forth and both of them made sense and I didn't know who to listen to. And then my agent said, oh, and Alex, by the way, it shoots in New Zealand. And I was like, oh, there's my, there's my answer. I'm going to New Zealand. Plus, and plus I said, it's just one episode. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Little did I know it was going to be the next six years of my life. Wow. So I went in and I got the I got the sides for the audition and I read it and you know I mean 
I, uh, I never studied classics. I didn't really, I, I somehow missed the mythology part of my education, just never happened. So I didn't really know much, but you know, I knew who the gods are and all that stuff as much as anybody else who grows up in this culture. And I'm reading this script and I'm like, bitchin' and tubular and what's going on here? <laughs> So I called my agents and she said, Alex, don't tell anyone in this in Hollywood this, but I love this show and I watch it every Saturday afternoon when I'm cleaning my apartment. It's so funny. It's campy and irreverent and just follow your instincts and, and just have fun. Yeah. And as soon as she said campy, I was all over it because, mm-hmm. you know, back to my kind of independent movie love of, of high school, um, you know, I grew up in D.C., and John Waters is kind of the king of camp, and he's right up the road in Baltimore, and, uh, you know, all I ever wanted to do was being in a John, Mod- John Waters movie. Yeah. Still true today. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm all over this. And um, I did it, and I went in, and I did the audition. I had short blonde hair at the time. All these girls there who were also auditioning were all wearing black leather pants, which I didn't understand. <laughs> and um, I went in to do my audition, and they laughed. And I think they even said something like, oh, you didn't have any fun with that, did you? And I was like, nah. <laughs> um, and then I left, and then, they, and then they gave me the part, and I was like, oh, that's so cool that they're going to let Aphrodite have short blonde hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little that you know. <laughs> Little did I know, yeah. <clears throat> and, then, um, and then I was, you know, going to be going to New Zealand. And that was, I think I arrived on, in New Zealand it was the first episode after the new year. I think I arrived like January 3rd or something. And the audition was early December. And my, my birthday is December 15th. Mm-hmm. And after I got the job, let's say it was like December 12th or something, Kevin Sorbo called me to congratulate me. Wow. And yeah, yeah and to tell me that he was going to be directing the show. It was going to be his first time directing. And he also said, and happy birthday. And I was like, wow, this is a, this is a class act. These people are, these are cool people. It's going to be all right. And, um, and then I went to New Zealand. Little did I know it was going to, you know, turn into six years of going back and forth. And little did I know, I didn't know anything about Xena at the time. And, um, but yeah, it turned into a big, big part of my life for the next six years. Wow. So you was in it for like 20 or so, or somewhat episodes, right? Just about? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, was well, um, was you traveling back and forth to New Zealand from where yeah. you're living at now? Okay. Yeah. So I, I think I went maybe three, four, five times a year, yeah. and every time I usually went for one episode, which is about nine days. Yeah. Sometimes I went two. Um, yeah, it was a great it was a great job. It's a great commute, LA to New Zealand. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> I'm I'm lucky I can I love first of all I love traveling and I love flying and I can sleep on planes and um, it's a really it's I think the I think the honestly I think the flight from LA to New York is tougher than the flight from LA to New Zealand really because you get on at like yeah you get on at like ten o'clock at night if you drink you have a glass of wine and then you take a nap. And then you wake up in the morning, and it's 12 hours later, and it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and everything's upside down and backwards, and you can't understand anything people are saying to you, and the toilet <laughs> flush is weird, and everything is strange, but, you you know, but the sun is shining, and you're awake all day. It makes perfect sense. And if you didn't sleep well, then you got a bad night's sleep. But at least your body sort of kind of... And you lost a day. That's a weird thing. You yeah. leave on Saturday and you arrive on Monday. So if the cops ever asked you where were you Sunday, you're screwed. 
Oh, you man. just didn't have that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, how yeah. did you, how did you like your outfit for Aphrodite? Did you feel oh, as as campy? Oh, it was great. I feel like <laughs> a tough question. Um, well, so 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 okay. So as I said, you get on the plane. Yeah. You have your weird night's sleep. You arrive early the next morning. Uh-huh. People start talking to you, supposedly in English, but you can't understand anything anyone says. <laughs> and, um, and they take you into the to your hotel, and they drop you off, and they give you a few hours. And then they bring you into wardrobe. So a few hours, you kind of, like, settle in. You take a shower. I like to take a walk. I like to um, – it's sort of my jet lag cure is sunshine and exercise. So I, I'd get out and go take a walk and meander the city a little bit and, you know, drink some coffee, have some breakfast. And then they bring you into um, wardrobe fitting, like, that morning. And so you're kind of hallucinating a little bit, right? It's like yeah. two days later and you're in another country on the other side of the planet and, you you know, everything is weird. And so you're really not paying very much attention. And, um, you know, they give you the stuff to put on and you put the stuff on <laughs> and, they, and everybody says okay and they take lots of pictures, Polaroids and... And then you show up on set three days later to start shooting, and you go, where'd my costume go? <laughs> what? This is it? This is what we did? Really? Where's the rest of it? Oh. Uh, yeah, and, and that was, I mean, and that was pretty much it. They, they didn't deviate too much. Later on in Xena, they did some other stuff. They gave me some little boy shorts at one point, and um, at one point on Hercules, they gave me a white dress instead of a red dress. And, of course... There was one Xena episode where I was wearing black. That was fun. <laughs> and then they all, they did those wackadoodle weirdo like alternate universe episodes, which are yes. always so much fun. Um, and let me wear some different stuff. But you know, they st- first of all, I hate pink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not your color then. <laughs> it's just not my color. Um, and also, I have a couple of tattoos and. Covering tattoos is hard. That's another thing to young actors. I would say. Well, yeah. t- I mean, today there's so many sleeved you know actors with just tons and tons of tattoos but it makes things difficult if they have to be covered i will say it's it's not easy um and i have one on my arm that goes all the way around so covering the inside underneath part is tricky because it rubs off on the on the dress and the color of my skin tone with the makeup to match is just the worst color to rub off on pink (laughs) it just like it just shows up immediately so technically um the tattoo plus the pink they don't go that well together they they put an armband on me for most of most of most shows so that they wouldn't have to mess around with the makeup what kind of tattoo what kind of tattoo you have like a barbed wire or something or um, I have a, it's a Celtic, you know, in, interlacy armband thing with a, I drew it when I was in college and a friend of mine at RISD who's an um, illustrator becoming a tattoo artist made it for me. Ah, okay. Yeah, going back to my Irish dancing days. Oh, so, okay. Well, how many tattoos do yeah. you have? Just that one or you have a few, you said? Well, you know, one of my makeup artists told me a lady doesn't discuss her tattoos. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm okay. I'm not a lady, I'll say. I have two. <laughs> yeah, two? Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, yeah. we, well, like you know, yeah. Now, nowadays, everybody has tattoos everywhere. So you I know. know it's true. I wonder, you know, um, maybe makeup technology has gotten better. It hasn't been an issue for me in a while, but I wonder about that sometimes. I mean, a lot of characters, you know, like Ruby Rose is covered, but she usually plays a character who can be covered in tattoos. Yeah. You know, um, but I wonder if she wanted to play, you know, a princess or a queen or someone from some other time period. I wonder. Yeah. How hard it would be. Yeah. yeah. 
Or even even on Dwayne Johnson, I think he has a whole Samoan sleeve on his arm now. So. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Because I think he took out he took out the Brahma bull, and I think he made like a whole tribal Samoan um thing on his oh, arm. Wow. So like if you see the movies now, like Rampage and Jumanji and the last movies they did all that. I, I think it's makeup cover up. I don't know. I don't think they do CGI yeah. for that still. But yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So all of that stuff is just like it's another thing. And and act. It's funny. I'm doing a play right now, and acting in theater and acting um, in film are so so different in a lot of ways. And one of the things about being in film that's really challenging for an actor is keeping your focus mm-hmm. um, on the life of the character while there's all this other stuff going on around you. You know, like yeah. you have to make sure that you hit your mark so that you're in focus with the camera. And if you don't, then you're going to have to do it again. Right. Or, or you have to make sure that your voice is loud enough so that the sound picks you up. And if you don't, you're going to have to do it again. And, and you have to make sure that like you hit your light so that the, you know, that, that, feel that light on the side of your face you need to make sure that you're in there so don't lean back and all that kind of stuff um that can potentially distract you and you know depending on what kind of scene you're doing if you're doing something really emotional that can be hard like if you're supposed to cry and remember to put your keys down when you come in the door and remember to hit your mark and get your light and all those you know all those um just little technical things um just add more add more challenges. And so every little extra thing that that you add to that just makes it harder. So if you have a tattoo that a makeup artist needs to be covering, it might the shot might be perfect, everyone might have done it perfectly, the the dolly slid the camera perfectly, the focus puller pulled the focus perfectly, everyone got their lines perfectly, the timing, everything, but oh shoot, you can see your tattoo. Got to do it again, you know. It's just one extra thing to make it a little harder. Um, that must be annoying at that time when, you know, they had to cover it up and everything. It must have been so like, oh, great, you know. Why did I get a tattoo? Especially, (laughs) you know, if there's there's 12 people who are all trying to do their thing perfectly in sync with one another and you're the one who screwed it up, that's, that's not fun. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> do you do you have any um, on-set funny stories you can tell? It, it could be rated PG. It could be rated NC-17. Do you have any funny stories? <laughs> oh, let me think. Well, there was my very first episode, The Apple, which was Hercules. And, um, and my entrance was, um, was in, in the giant clamshell from the Botticelli painting. Yes, I remember and, that. Yes, okay. Yeah. And we were shooting out at the beach, which was just incredibly, stunningly beautiful. And um, I remember it was winter in L.A. It was January when we left. And winter in L.A. is, I mean, compared to where you are, winter in L.A. is a piece (laughs) of cake. But, you know, it's still kind of cold. It's kind of chilly. And, you know, it gets dark early. It's it's still winter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you get on this magical airplane ride and arrive the next two days later and all of a sudden it's summer because you're in the southern hemisphere and it's so beautiful and it's balmy and tropical and you're eating mangoes and drinking cups of tea with people who are calling you mate in a cheerful way (laughs) and and we were shooting out at the beach which was just so incredibly stunningly beautiful and um yeah the beach there has these really, really long rolling tides where you can walk out towards the ocean for like five minutes and you're still only up to your knees, you know? Um, And then, you know, then the tides roll in and there's the water's deeper. But we were, so we're shooting out there and, um, and I had to 
I have my crazy outfit on and my crazy wig. By the way, the other thing about the wig is you have to, you have to, um, it takes longer to put a wig on. So that means you have to get there earlier in the morning. So great. Note to self next time, grow your hair. (laughs) (laughs) And if I had known that I was going to be doing it for six years, I would have just done that. I would have just been like, you know what? I'm going to sleep in and grow my hair. But, um, anyway, so, so they've put me in this giant clamshell in the water, floating in the water. And there were two guys from the art department behind me, behind the clamshell, hiding out of sight of the camera. And they had these ropes um, to pull open the clamshell. And then they said, action. And, you know, the clamshell was going to magically open and I was going to magically unfurl myself and climb out of it, the birth of Aphrodite. And then and then the joke happens where I stand up and test the wind and, and then start windsurfing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was the scene and or that was a shot anyway and um and so okay so i'm in the thing i'm all curled up the lid comes down i'm kind of bobbing along in the waves and they say action and and the clamshell didn't open (laughs) (laughs) action and the clamshell still doesn't open And then they say, action, and the clamshell still doesn't, they can't get the clamshell open. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm all curled up in this, you know, fake, giant fake clamshell out, you know, bobbing along in the ocean in New Zealand. And I was like, and this is how it all ended. (laughs) She just floated off to sea and was never heard from again. (laughs) Maybe I'll come back as some, like, mythological seal creature or mermaid or something. That must have been so embarrassing. Like, oh shit, I can't get out. That was so fun. It was really fun. They did obviously eventually get it open, but um, but that was pretty fun. Uh-oh. Um, um so Alex, that was a good one. That was my first episode ever. That was one of my first days. Wow. And 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 um, after the first day, um, you never had any issues. Everything was like, you know, you got into the routine of Aphrodite and from your other. You got. Yeah, it was funny. You know, Kevin Sorbo said to me. Um, when we got there, so that first day, that first surreal day when yeah. you're kind of hallucinating through your day and through <laughs> you're not paying attention in your wardrobe fitting and um, trying to understand this, get, get your bend your ear around this Kiwi accent, which is very unusual and strange. Yeah. And, um, and you know, and also making friends um, with the people you're going to be working with for the next week and a half. And, you know, you're in a foreign country and you know no one. Um, and that afternoon we had a read-through, which is where the cast... And the director, the um, kind of top producers, um, and everyone, yeah, pretty much that's it. And and everyone sit around a table and just read through the script. Mm. And um, you don't always get this. Um, it's a real treat when you get to to hear the whole show all together with all the actors. Mm. And. Um, and it's kind of, a lot of times it's the only rehearsal you're going to get. Unlike a play where, you know, I have eight weeks of rehearsal right now. There, that's that's pretty much it. The rest of it is you by yourself in your living room with, you know, any poor member of your family who's <laughs> suckered into reading the lines with you. So, um, so we got to the read-through and it was the afternoon. So I was starting to get a little tired at this point. And Kevin comes up to me and he says, um, now... Something along the lines of, um, you know, we're down here in New Zealand, and most of the producers in the production company are back in L.A. 
So a lot of times we have to just sort of make decisions on the fly down here. Sometimes they even, you know, would be shooting on a Monday and it's Sunday in L.A. There's not even anyone in the office, right? Yeah. So he said, you can pretty much do what you want to with the lines. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he said, yeah, and you know, this whole Valley Girl thing, I don't know if I really like that. I think that's kind of weird. I think if you want to make her like a horsey, kind of waspy girl from Connecticut, you can do that. And I just panicked inside. I just went, oh, my God. I don't know. I've, I've had this script for two weeks. I've been working on it. I've made all these decisions. I've made all these choices. I worked with my acting teacher on it. And I was ready to do this kind of body, naughty, valley girl surfer thing. And I have no idea how to rewrite the script on the fly and change the lines and do all of that. So I just thought, I'm just going to do what I came here to do. And so that's what I did. Um, and afterwards, I went up to him and I said, I'm sorry about the, you know, the horsey girl from Connecticut. I just, I, he said, what you did is perfect. Don't change anything. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very relieved. And that was, that was sort of the birth of the Valley Girl Aphrodite. Yeah. Um, what was the hardest part about playing that role? Like, did you always have to be in shape for that role? Like, you could, like, did they tell you, oh, you can't gain weight because Aphrodite has to look a certain way? Like, did, did, did they tell that to you? Or well, that's... They didn't, I mean, dude, you, <laughs> you're a girl in this culture. You know that. No one has to tell you that. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm, I'm blessed with, um, you know, I'm blessed with genes, genetics that are, um, you know, that that have me naturally kind of in alignment with what our culture today tends to think is beautiful in terms of my body size. Um, and in terms of my body shape, um, I, you know, I'm naturally kind of a mover and I love dancing and, um, I'm just, I'm one of those people who's kind of, you know, if I talk on the phone, I'm pacing back and forth. I just like to move. And so it, it wasn't hard for me to stay, slim and kind of somewhere in the area of what would be expected. But I did, you know, I would be given a couple weeks notice Uh, on, um, before I had to go and I know I'm going to be in a bathing suit. So I would, you know, I'd start hitting the gym or hitting the dance classes a little more seriously. And, you know, I, 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 um, I'm a feminist and I, I do not, uh, encourage, eating disorder behavior, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and that stuff's pretty important to me. So I wouldn't go on a diet per se, but I would start trying to make healthier choices, trying to drink more water, trying to eat more vegetables and stuff like that. Um, um, yeah. I was going to ask you, um, describe a typical day of training for you. What's the most important in your workout? Like what's the most important things you focus on in your workouts? Fun. <laughs> Fun? <laughs> Fun, yeah. That's my personality. Literally, like, I when I was back in those days, um, when I would um, occasionally, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to get really sick shape. I'm going to get like ripped and cut, like Linda Hamilton. I want to be like that kind of yeah. girl, and I'm going to just eat like nothing but protein and vegetables, and I'm going to work out really hard. And then like three hours later, um, my boyfriend at the time would be like, "So you want to go get a pint of ice cream?" And I'm like, "Let's go." <laughs> <laughs> How my that's how my mind worked. That's also like why I tried, like why I gave up on dieting, you know, a million years ago because it just doesn't work for me. As soon as you say I can't have something, that's all I want. So yeah. what I do in, instead is just like try to find stuff that's fun. And sometimes working out, you know, working with weights is fun. Like it's good to feel strong. 
Um, and now as I'm older, you know, I was a dancer when I was young, as I said, so I've got, I have to take care of my knees. So I have to make sure I hit the weights from time to time just to make sure that those muscles around it are supporting it right. But, um, but other than that, it would really be like, I'm really into salsa dancing right now. I want to figure out how to do that move. I'm going to go to that class or I love yoga. So I'm going to go do that or that kind of thing really, um, it's it's just what works for me. <laughs> yeah. um, since since you've begun in the entertainment f- field, um, have you ever had a "Why am I still doing this?" moment? Oh yeah, oh definitely, and yeah. and um, yeah, because when I when I made the decision to go to Hollywood, right, I had been. Um, at Brown University, I had studied a lot of feminist film theory. Mm-hmm. I really loved films. I really loved filmmaking. Um, <clears throat> I believe strongly in the sort of the political power of culture. I'm not very, I'm very interested in politics. I'm not very interested in electoral politics. I grew up in DC. My family's political. It's mind numbingly boring to me. Um, Just like the process, how the sausage gets made here. I just, it just puts me to sleep. But, um, but I'm very interested in cultural politics and the way representation matters like the last three, the, the last three movies I saw with my children were Black Panther, um, A Wrinkle in Time, and Love Simon. Wow! And I just, and we loved all three of those movies, and it just blows my mind. Those are not the movies we grew up with, you know. And the fact yeah. that they could watch a rom com where the that's totally mainstream, where the lead character is a gay guy in high school, and we love him, and he's not like committing suicide or something, you know. It's yeah. just, it's. It's so great, and I think it's really, really important. So that's kind of the angle that I was taking when I moved to Hollywood, and there were a lot of people who said to me, um, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you're a girl, you're a pretty girl, you know, good luck having any power at all in what you get to say. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change the world. And my um, my – my idol whose footsteps I wanted to follow in was Jodie Foster at the time. I was like, I'm going to become an actress. Then I'm going to start directing and producing and doing my own stuff. And so after I'd been out there for a while, yeah, there were certainly moments where I was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Even when I did, um, the sun chaser, um, which was arguably sort of the biggest move, certainly the biggest movie I ever did. And, um, it didn't, it didn't do well in theaters, unfortunately, but at the time we thought it was going to be, it was a really big budget, um, movie. We thought it was going to be a big deal. And again, I had a wig, God knows why. (laughs) (laughs) And I had this really expensive outfit. I mean, the shoes alone were like 500 bucks and this was in the nineties. And, um, and like a jacket flown over from Paris, from a boutique and all this stuff. And, um, and the heels were really, really, really high, too. And there was a little girl who was supposed to be my daughter who was about four, and I had to carry her. And and um, it's the big end scene. It's the big uh, scene where I was reunited with Woody Harrelson, my husband, and he'd been kidnapped, and it had been a big drama and very upsetting, and, you know, mother with a little kid, so worried about daddy, and is he going to come home, and all that stuff, and there was a rain machine. It was out on a tarmac. He was coming down off of a airplane, and there was a rain machine, and I had to, in the high heels, in the rain, carrying the four-year-old with an umbrella, not get the wig wet, and 
climb under a police line and then run across the tarmac to hug and kiss Woody Harrelson. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the last, that's the last shot of the movie still is. And, um, and my boyfriend at the time who later became my husband was there on the set. It was the day he showed up on the set to visit and he just watched the process (laughs) and he was like, and he's an actor too. Um, but he just watched the whole thing and was like, Oh my God, this is so ridiculous. (laughs) Because there was so much drama about getting it right, and then my hair got wet, and then the the hair stuff was freaking out, and but the rain machine was going, and they were calling action, but the wig wasn't on yet, and you got to go. And then Woody was saying to me, "You got to get when they say action, you have to go, otherwise." And I was like, "Oh my God!" And none of it had anything to do with the story. (laughs) which is you know this man this couple has been away and through this horrible thing and now they're getting reunited it was all about all those technical things so um that was a moment too where i was like what am i doing (laughs) why why am i doing this how is this changing the world so yeah so there are certainly moments when you go oh my god this is ridiculous when people are freaking out over some silly thing that definitely or when you you know there's Certainly not getting a part that you wanted. That's a moment that that hurts, that's painful. Um, And then after I had children, that was a big, big deal. I I got married and I moved back to New York. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was a big change. It was a lot of change all at once. And, um, And I moved back to New York and we were looking for a place to live with our growing family. I was pregnant. And, um... This is interesting. I don't know if this is still true, and I want to look into it, but um, I called my agents to tell them I was pregnant, and they said, oh, congratulations, that's so great. So when you're ready to come back to work, you know, after you've had the baby and after you've gotten your figure back or whatever, give us a call. And I was like, well, wait, no, 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 that's that's like a year and a half away. No, no, hold on, I can still work. And they were like, well, no, you can't, you're pregnant. And I was like, no, 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 I'm 12 weeks pregnant. I was, you know, enjoyed nice, healthy morning sickness. I have gained two ounces, maybe. No one no one could tell I was pregnant for many more months. And they said, no, 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 you can't work on a set. They won't insure you. Oh. I was like, what? But Lucy was on. Well, Lucy is famous, and they'll pay extra to insure her. But they won't. If you want to just go do, like, a commercial or go just go do a guest spot on something, mm-mm. So, wow. Okay, so now I'm staring at, I've got a baby coming, I've got a year and a half without working, I'm about to lose my health insurance, because as an actor, your health insurance is directly tied to how much you work. Yeah. And I just went, oh my God. And um, my husband at the time, father of my children, was, uh, he's an artist and he's a teacher, and he was teaching in New York and he was also teaching down in Baltimore, and, I, and so he was commuting to Baltimore, and I was like, why don't we, and we were both from D.C., and I was like, why don't we just move back to D.C.? until after we have the baby you don't have to commute to baltimore and and um and that was 14 years ago wow yeah so then after well then i had a baby then i had another baby then i had another baby so (laughs) there was a whole lot of time when i couldn't work in there um but also after i had the you know after i had my first baby i I still lived in dc my husband you know he had one semester as an adjunct professor then he got another one then he became full-time and you know roots start to grow under you if you, if you don't if you're not careful and you're not paying attention roots will grow <laughs> but um but also you know i had i had kind of started my career in dc commuting up to new york for work and i kind of just imagined i'd do that after i had the baby but then i had this baby and i had this baby in my arms and i was nursing her and i didn't want to just 
hand her off to somebody and go up to New York for an audition for something and come back the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so my priorities changed for sure for a while. Yeah, they shifted for the better, I would say. They sure did. Yeah, yes. I mean, there's there's times when I wish that I had kind of kept a toe a little bit more in LA, you know, um, and I do miss it. I miss it a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love those kids and I, and I'm really grateful that I got to be there for them as much as I did when they were little. Yeah. See, that's awesome. That's awesome. As long as you're there as a parent and, you know, you had your mind set on one thing, but then, you know, nature takes its course and then, you know, your priorities shift and, you know, they shift to where they're at now. So it's a, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 We like- all figure it out. I mean, parenthood is crazy, you know, like. I would not pretend to say that I know how to do it, and I wouldn't pretend to say that I did it right, and it's complicated, man. You know, I, I, was, I just heard somebody, a really smart woman, say, um, you know, people talk about women going back to the workforce, you know, in the last 30 or 40 years, and she was like, women have always worked. It's rich white women who didn't work, you know? Like, <laughs> everyone else has always worked. And and women have always worked a lot of times in other women's homes, yeah. cooking for them, you know. And yeah. and this idea of, of women going back to going to the joining the workforce is really about going into what's traditionally been men's area of work, going into offices and yeah. doing that kind of work. But but women always, I mean, you know, the the amount of unpaid labor that goes unrecognized that parents do all the time, you know, if, if women were paid for that yeah. <laughs> or, or dads, you know, whoever's doing it, um, it's a lot, it's a lot, a lot. And it's a lot to figure out how to, I don't think anyone ever feels like they do it right. You know, I think we all feel like we're doing all of it badly, yeah. you know, not being a good enough parent and not working well enough, but we just, we muddle along. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny because in the Midwest, as opposed to living in New York City, is so different because all the men oh, really? here work factory jobs, construction jobs, like what you would consider a man-man job. And then right. when you go to like the hospital, all the clerical, it's all women. It's it's rare that you you, know, you see men, but it's not as much as you would see in the city because the city, it's more diverse with men and women, men yeah. and women. You know, it's so different. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, very different. I think, I don't know, I think it's just a Midwest mentality or it's just, I, I guess that's just the way it is. I'm not sure. The culture, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you also, what are your fans like when you see them or do they recognize you and they're like, oh my God, you know, like, what, what are your fans um, like? <laughs> I've only been, I think I've been recognized four times in my life. <laughs> Get out of here, really? <laughs> Real. Yeah, I'm, I have one of those faces that changes pretty dramatic. I mean, you know, if you know me, you would, you would recognize me, but yeah. um, even that. Remember, I told you that story about um, doing the shot on the tarmac in the super high heels. Yes, yes. When the, my boyfriend at the time, he didn't recognize me at first. <laughs> when he showed up on set, he looked right at me and almost asked if I knew where I was. <laughs> I just, I'm one of those faces. Like I dye my hair and I look like somebody else, or I put on a wig and I look like somebody else. I think it's fun. I like it, yeah. but. Um, so I had short hair most of the time when I was doing Xena and wow. Hercules, and um, some of the time I had dark hair or red hair or some other things. So I almost never got recognized. Uh-huh. Um, one of the times I got recognized was off my credit card. Oh. <laughs> I was buying something, and the clerk looked at my card and then looked at me and was like, really? <laughs> and then recently, a few years ago, we were living, I lived in Costa Rica for a year, and um, and there, Xena was on for the first time. It was like, you know, a brand new show for them. Oh, wow. 
every week. Yeah, and there I went. I took my kids to get ice cream one day, and the ice cream lady recognized me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? In a way, it's true because you know what? You you actually have short hair, so wearing a mm-hmm. wig all the time, you would look so different. So yeah, yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah, it's true. My dad one time didn't recognize me when I dyed my hair purple or something like that. I came home and he said, "Can I help you?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's just I just have one of those faces, but fans are awesome. You know, I I haven't done a convention in a few years, but um, but I have found them to be just so lovely. And Xena fans in particular are a really specific group in general. And um, you know, I I love independent movies. I love campy movies. If you had told me when I was a teenager that I would be part of a show that was associated with being a lesbian icon, I would have been just over the moon excited. So um, I kind of don't know how I got to do that while also playing a role who looked like a Barbie doll. (laughs) But I I got away with it, so I'm happy. And I love those ladies. They're awesome. Uh, um, Alex, have you had any regrets in life? I don't think so because I look at my three children and and they're extraordinary and everything that happened led me to this moment. So there's nothing I would change. Um, You know what I would do differently? I would have not sold my house. (laughs) That's one thing. I owned a house in LA and I sold it when I moved back east. Don't sell your house. Hold on to it if you can because I wish I still had that house. Other than that, it's all right. And I, you know, I, I, I do miss working, and I'm, I'm happy to be working again now, and and going back to some independent movies and some stage. So, um, I'm looking forward more than looking back. Uh, yeah. Um, what is your personal motto? Carpe diem. Ah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have a personal motto, but that was the only one that popped into my head. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. Yeah, I think Carpe Diem is a good one. Uh, if you had the power to improve one thing in the world of entertainment, what would it be? Oh. Uh, it has to be diversity of, of the producers. Because the producers are the ones who have the power to greenlight something or not. Mm. And, um, you know, I think the best thing we can do for Me Too is have more women in power, you know. And and, and for, I think think we need, the the thing that excites me so much about the success of Black Panther is that, um, you know, Hollywood looks at money it looks at dollar signs and yeah. if we see real diversity on screen making money then we're gonna get to make more movies like that and um i think the more diverse people we have in charge of making those decisions the more diverse views we're going to be able to see on screen the more diverse mm-hmm. um characters and storylines yeah and it's crazy like right now i believe is it it beat Titanic as number three um, grossing, highest grossing film of all time. Like, it beat Titanic right now. I think it's number three or number four, Black Panther. And it's... It's, it's so exciting. Yes. And let me tell you, that is not my genre. That is... I have never been interested in action movies. I generally... 
I never really liked them anyway. And then after I had kids, I found my nervous system was just too delicate for explosions and battle scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, oh my god, Black Panther and Wonder Woman! I just loved those movies. I just loved them, loved them, loved them. I could watch the first twenty minutes of Wonder Woman a thousand times. I just love it. Yeah, it's such a yeah, yeah it's such a powerful. We, you know, my, my wife is like that too. She's a person that really sensitive to rape movies and movies that are like very horrific and vulgar. But a movie like that, she can watch and she's content with it. And you know, basically, I would say a movie like that, a movie that has a good story and has good yeah. acting and yeah. and you know, it's concise. Is is yeah. you know, it, it Black Panther. You know, it has everything in it that's so it makes it such a good movie. And you know, it's I wish so yeah, such a good yeah so many great role models i just yeah um you know i saw iron man when did that come out like a million years ago yeah like yeah i'm there with you too i forgot what year oh my god yeah and um and i i don't know i had just had a baby i was nursing somebody i was pregnant i can't remember but um but i remember like the opening scene was like abu greb torture scene yeah and i I don't remember if I walked out of the movie theater, but or if I just like turned to my partner at the time and said, "I can't watch movies like this anymore. I just can't." Yeah. You know, it was way too upsetting for me. And he's like, "Dude, come on, chill out. It's a superhero movie." And I'm yeah. like, "People are being tortured on the screen, you know." Yeah. Um, and I remember hearing about Wonder Woman when they were making Wonder Woman. They wanted to make sure that it was okay for little girls to go and watch and so they made a conscious decision not to get too intense with the violence because they wanted it to be a movie that you know kids could go see too and i i love them for that thank you for that (laughs) yeah yeah wonder woman also such a powerful movie you know i think pretty much that changed the game now for a lot of female-led driven films especially female directed driven films you know and then yeah so yeah it changed a lot especially Especially Jessica Jones. I think Jessica Jones, when came out of Netflix, said the second season had all female directors. So it's, Isn't that great? It's yeah. so exciting. It really is so exciting. It's a big deal. It's important. You know, it, it matters. Mm-hmm. And um, it matters in terms of how people are treated on set, it, you know, and, and all the stories that we've heard about in the last six months about that. It matters in terms of what what flies to get put on TV. It's interesting, again, going back to my kids, Mm -hmm. we were watching a pretty innocuous, we were watching Gilmore Girls. Oh, wow. And, you know, which is, I'm now a single mom, and, um, you know, some other single mom friends of mine were like, oh, you guys got to watch Gilmore Girls. You're going to love it. It's so great. It's like single mom with her daughter, and you guys are just, just trust me, watch it. It is, it's an awesome show. I love it. I love that the mom is a little wacky, and I love that the daughter is sort of the role model of the show. I love their relationship. It's great. The acting's fabulous. The writing's great. It's funny. It's sweet. It's, you know, there's no horrible, weird thing I have to explain to my (laughs) nine-year-old. But my kids turned to me one day and said, Mom, I think this show's kind of racist. And I was like, really? Tell me why. And they were like, well, because there's no black people on the show. Wow. And I was like, Oh, and they were like, I mean, really, there's no black people in this whole entire town. And then one of the kids was like, well, no, 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 there's the French guy. He's, you know, okay, so there's that one guy. (laughs) (laughs) Very observant. Wow. Asian girl. But like, there's nobody else, you know, and or like that funny little homophobic joke where the one guy puts his arm around the other guy and then the other guy is like, whoa, dude, too much and like steps away. And it's funny. That's like a funny joke at the expense of a gay man, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they, 
it's that show's not that old. And that show, by the way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, that's not the show I would point to if I was looking for a racist or homophobic show by any means, you know what I mean? But things are changing fast and, um, and, and my kids can see it. It's, it's exciting and inspiring. Yeah. If you, if you see shows back then from all in the family to good times, even sitcoms, Roseanne, everything evolves, you know, everything evolves, you know, where you could say the N word in sitcoms, like a all in the family where everything is, it's it's just so different. Huh? Yeah, and if you see All in the Family, there's episodes where Archie said the N word, and and you know even George Jefferson. You know, it's it's so different. It's so different. Isn't that interesting? It's so interesting. Yeah. It's really cool. Like when you have when you become a parent, and you see things through your children's eyes. It's yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they've never not had Oprah and Ellen as role models. Yeah, you're you're you absolutely know? right. Yeah, and uh, and they've had trans friends their whole lives. They've never not knew kids who were trans, you know, like it's normal to them. Their, their friends have, some of their friends have two dads. Some of their friends have two moms. It's just, they don't, they also don't get it. You know, they, they don't understand what homophobia is or why anyone would be ashamed to say they're gay or anything like they just don't understand. You know, I I think they'll, unfortunately, sadly, I think they'll learn more as they get older. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool to watch. Yeah. It's a neat Alive. Yeah, yeah, and the city is more open that way, like more in like the suburbia Midwest. Like you really yeah. don't see it as much, but yeah, in the you city, can talk to that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the city, New York, hands down, you'll see, you know, um, um, men holding each other's hands, women holding each other's hands. You know, you have yeah. uh, Christopher Street downtown. You know, yes. predominantly gay. You know, it, it, it's so yeah, different though. It's just so different. Yeah. yeah, it is just so yeah. different. You know. It's hard I know to... it's inspiring. There's a lot to be inspired by. There's also a lot to be horrified by. And I live in DC, but yeah, um, so it's oh, all right here, okay. very local. But um, wow, but you I'm live right there at the heart of it. Whoa, <laughs> I am. I'm in the belly of the beast. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you hear the sirens, and we all have to stop and watch the motorcade go by. And, oh my god! Yeah, it's it's intense. But um, but I have to choose to look at the bright side and and believe the children are the future and they're amazing boy those kids from parkland are so inspiring oh yes yes you know it's it's it's, it's, you know kids are our future and it's pretty much changing a revolution now you know it's it's so many things yeah yeah it's 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 amazing because you know people think kids are not in tune or kids are dumb they're stupid they don't know what's going on in the world no they actually do what you know some kids actually do watch the news or they know what's going on in the world and basically you know we just got to shape up you know as a nation you know i i don't want to get political with you because i don't know where your stance is at but you know there's i'm right there with you you my friend i am right there with you i think the first thing that um was it david hogg yeah. I think at um at at the march a couple of weeks ago, and we were right down there, and he said, "Welcome to the revolution." Yeah, <laughs> yep. And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> finally, please, yes." And they make the thing that's so beautiful about children is that it it's really black and white to them. It really just it's really a question of right and wrong, mm-hmm. and it's really not complicated. Yeah. You know, there's no like, well, you know, it's complicated because there's the Second Amendment and we have to think. But no, no, no. I'm sorry. I need to be able to go to school and not worry about being shot. It's really very simple. Exactly. <laughs> there's no there, there's no shades of gray. It's black and white when it comes to that. There really aren't. Yeah. Homeless people shouldn't have to sleep on the street. If somebody went and fought for our country, they should be able to have a bed. No one should be hungry when there's billionaires in this country. It's mm-hmm. really, really simple. Like, yeah. they're hungry. They should have food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just. 
just yeah. it's beautiful. It's well, really beautiful to see. Um, can I ask you? Um, <laughs> I want to ask you something political. What are your thoughts about our president? Oh, darling, isn't this a family show? <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, you can you can you can say what you want. Say what you want. Oh, I'm. That's the dark stuff I try so hard not to look at. You know, sometimes I get overwhelmed. I took myself yeah. on a media sabbatical for a little while because I was getting overwhelmed by all the... Oh, wow. All yeah. the ugliness. And um, and then I slowly crept back. I started with Facebook because that's a way that I kind of keep myself connected to so much of the world, and including people who, I, who are very important to me, friends and people you know who I'm close with who don't live nearby. And um, and then slowly, you know, from there, the headlines. And the last thing for me to turn on was the radio. And the first thing I heard was his voice. And I just like, <laughs> oh, I just felt this wave of nausea, and I turned the radio. <laughs> it's so it's so disgusting. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Yeah. The fact that he said grab her by the pussy and was still elected. I, I just, I can't get beyond that. The fact that he made fun of a disabled man and was still elected. Yeah. I just, it, um, yeah, Don't, you know, me, I know he's yeah. an entertainer and he's funny and people like to laugh at him and yeah. I get that he got a lot of free press. I also get that Russia hacked our election, yeah. but, um, I just can't believe that people are so cold-hearted as to vote for someone who would yeah. say that and do that. I just, it really, if I think about it, it deeply, deeply yeah. disturbs me. I also think yeah. uh, it was either Emma Gonzalez or David Hogg, one of those awesome Parkland student leaders, said, um, you know what, you guys are going to die soon. <laughs> 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 and we're still going to be alive. And yeah. I also kind of, that's the optimistic part of me, is I'm hoping this is the last gasp of a racist white generation, like a backlash against Obama and Hillary's success. Um it, you know, and and the nastiness is just coming out one last nasty time before they all die. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> die, but that that, yeah. that that ugly tradition of ours, which is yeah. part of our culture and is part of our history, unfortunately, yeah. I really hope it's on its way out. And yeah. you know, I live on the coast, man. I always have, you know, on one coast or the other. So my bubble is really tiny, and I have. You know, I've never not had feminist, gay, people of color friends. So mm -hmm. I, I know that I know that I am not in touch with the huge, giant, enormous part of the country. I, yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, but I still have to hope that our country is ultimately a kind, loving, welcoming place for humanity. That's that's what I hope. That's what I hope is going to happen. Yeah. And you know, so much of my life. My friends and I have been saying, you know, there's times when we've said there are things in this culture that are sexist. There are things in this culture that are racist. And, and people have said, no, 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 you're wrong. Well, now I think everyone pretty much agrees that we're right. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. now when you have, you know, the Confederate flag and, and the Klan marches and stuff like that, I think we can pretty much agree there's still a lot of racism in this country. Yeah. And, um, and I, I do believe that we're on the right side of history and it's going to end up that the kids are going to end up leading us to a brighter, better future. But boy, it's there's some nasty, dark stuff right now. Yeah, trust me, I lived in, I lived in a state that actually voted for him, and like that he won Wisconsin. So like I know, you know, what I'm saying? I you drive and you see the signs, and it's just it's just you know I'm I'm from New York, Manhattan, yeah. so I know yeah. I, I know the deal. I know the man's stick, yeah. you know. So it's just yeah. 
you know, I don't know. Crazy too is that he's not even. (laughs) He's a shyster. Everyone in New York has a personal story about somebody that he screwed over. Yes. Some you know contractor, some plumber who never got paid. Like everybody knows. Yeah. 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 It's weird. I was up in upstate New York a couple months ago and I saw a Confederate flag up there and I was like, what the hell? You guys know you won the war, right? You guys know you're in the North. Like, (laughs) like, why do you have a flag of a, of a dead racist culture that you beat 150 years ago? Yeah. It'd it'd be different if you had like the general Lee and you had that to your car collection or something like that. But come on now, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, that stuff's so interesting. You know, I mean, I grew up down here. There's like Lee highway. There's, you know, all kinds of you know all kinds of signs and symbols of confederate pride and um a friend of mine recently pointed out as interesting a friend of mine i went to high school with said he went to um the same farm down in southern maryland for years um for uh, they his family went there for thanksgiving every year and it wasn't until they've been doing that for like a decade and a half or something that he learned that that was the area where Harriet Tubman used to bring people through on the underground railroad to escape from slavery. Wow. And so when people say, you know, we shouldn't tear down these monuments, this is our history. I'm like, well, who's the monument to, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to mark your history, let's erect some more Harriet Tubman, Tubman. I know there's Harriet Tubman monuments. I think we yeah. could use a lot more is all I'm saying. Yeah. And, you know, if we're going to put up monuments to mark our history, what are we celebrating? Yeah. I think it's worth asking for sure. Alex, you're awesome, man. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Efren. <friend. laughs> nope. How are you? Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too. Um, one more question. Um, I, I didn't even get I didn't even get a chance to talk to you. I know you're gonna come out in a play, right? Um, uh, a yeah. delicate balance, right? A delicate balance. Yeah. Do you know it? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Tell the people a little bit about it. I'm sorry, I didn't get yeah. to lead to this. Go ahead. That's all right. That's all right. It's um, we just started rehearsals last week. It goes up June first. Yes. It's uh, it's a theater down here called Silver Spring Stage. It's a lovely theater. It's really really well respected, and um, and the play itself is called A Delicate Balance. It's by Edward Albee, who's one of the great American playwrights. It came out in 1967 and won the Pulitzer then, and um, they made it into a movie a couple years later. Catherine Hepburn played the lead, and then. More recently, Glenn Close did it on Broadway. Um, it's uh, it's an intense play. It's got two intermissions. Wow. <laughs> so that gives wow. you an idea of how long it is. Wow. And I play the lead, Agnes, who's um, trying to maintain the delicate balance of her family. And um, there's an alcoholic sister. There's a daughter who's going through her fourth divorce there's all kinds of chaos that ensues um and there is some it's it's linguistically it's brilliant and there there's some playful fun moments but it's definitely a drama it's definitely intense it's i've got my work cut out for me but it's um it's fun i'm excited to do it oh that's awesome and you know it's how long is it like a three hour i think so i mean we haven't timed it yet and you know every production is a little different but it's known to be a three-hour play, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to bring my kids. They always want to come see my stuff, and I'm like, it's a drama. It's really a grown-up drama. There's a lot of alcohol in it. There's yeah. a lot of alcoholism. You know, there's there's loss and sadness. And honestly, I think they're just going to want to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, I, I know I had you on long, but my final question for you is, yeah. 
what would of the what would the Alex of today tell the Alexandra of yesterday? Oh, um, don't worry so much about what people think. Mm-hmm. I would say number one and number two. I would say um, don't stop writing. Don't stop making your own stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I went there. I went to LA from from college, kind of expecting to be making my own thing, and then I just got swept up in acting and and living an actor's life, which is a really fun life. And I did it. I really enjoyed it. But I wish I had never taken time off from from writing, and uh, and continuing to think of myself as a writer and a director. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And um, um, what is what is what do you think is the key to a successful relationship? What do you think is the key? Oh, darling. <laughs> from your experience, from your experience. Oh, um. Respect. Respect. Uh. Yeah, respect for each other's humanity and also respect for each other's dreams for, for, I guess continuing to ask the question, what what are you dreaming of right now? Mm-hmm. And playfulness, fun, fun, fun. That's awesome. Yeah, Kevin, um, Kevin Bacon was asked that question, and he said, uh, "Keep the fighting clean, the sex dirty, and don't ask for relationship advice from an actor." <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. <laughs> Yeah, I defer to him. <laughs> He's got a good answer. <laughs> um, Alex, um, I know I, there's so many things I, you know, re- definitely got to let you go. But um, plug your social media, plug any upcoming upcom- up events. Oh, 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 for me. I yes, yes. Plug you. Um, yeah, uh, so so there's that play that's in D.C. Anybody who's around here can can come and see it. And you can find me on Facebook, Alexandra Tidings, and um, – Oh God! I don't even know what my handles are, and I'm I'm on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not good at this stuff. Well, um, they they could just Google you, right? And they they can probably find you. You can yeah. Google me. Be careful, because there's a few imposters on Facebook. But um, if you find the one that looks uh, that looks like me, not Aphrodite, you, you probably got me. I don't even know how to say. How do I even tell people what that what that handle is? Like well, how to find that. Oh, isn't it like Alex Tidings or Alex Dot Tidings or something? Or? Alex Alexander Tidings is the Facebook one. Okay. Um. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not very. No, good. it's it's totally but, um, fine. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I'm trying to pull up Twitter right now to see what my handle is on Twitter. <laughs> at Alex Tidings is Twitter. Yeah, at go. Alex Tidings. Okay, and you're also yeah. on Instagram. You said and Facebook. So if people wanted to look for you, you're out there and. Yeah, I'm out there. And then um, Instagram is a tidings. Uh, there you go. I have to make them all different, so it's complicated. Sorry. No, no, it, it, it's totally fine. You're 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 worth the fine. People definitely will oh, find you. Thank you, you know? darling. And then there's also there's a um there's a movie called What Death Le- What Death Leaves Behind, which is an, a little independent movie that I did. Um, and it, we had a screening for it in Philadelphia last month that did really well at the screening. I think they're going to – they've got some offers um, for distributors, but I think they're going to take it to festivals first. Oh, so okay. it won't be in theaters for a little while, but that one will be coming out soon, I hope. Oh, how, lar- how, how large is your role in that movie? It's um, – okay, so the movie's about – have you ever heard of this thing where sometimes people get – 
like a kidney transplant or a lung transplant or something like that, and then they get some some like sort of funny little extra bonuses that come with the transplant, like a potato chip craving that you didn't have before, but then you find out the guy who died who gave you his kidney also had a potato chip oh, craving. Really? No, never heard of that. Really? Wow. Yeah, okay. it's a it's a real thing, and there's a, there's sort of a famous story of a kid who. Um, got some transplant and uh, and then all of a sudden became obsessed with Spider-Man yeah. and later on found out that the child who had died, the donor child, um, was also obsessed with Spider-Man. So there's a theory, uh, cellular memory theory, that, that actually, that the cells of our body carries more information than we think they do. So the writers of this movie, What Death Leaves Behind, took that idea and ran with it and made a thriller, a psychological thriller out of it, where this guy gets a kidney transplant and then starts having nightmares and hallucinations and weird dreams and stuff and starts to think maybe that his donor had been murdered and starts trying to track it down. Um, and it's a cool movie. So I play the doctor who's the expert on cellular memory theory. Wow. Super fun. I got to be like an intellectual, <laughs> no wig, no bikini, no pink. Oh. <laughs> I wore a white jacket. I didn't have to bleed or cry or run or be scared. It was great. And you have to learn all this doctor lingo, right? Yeah, all the doctor lingo, all of it. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, so it's not a huge role, but it's a, it's an important role, and it it's it was too important to be cut out of the movie, which is always a plus. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, Alex. That's awesome. You know, and um, I want to say I want to thank you for your time, and um, my best to you and your daughters, and I wish you great success and good luck in the play. Oh, thank you so much. Back at you. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks.